Our scripture today is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our, Christ, our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Word of the Lord. And good morning, church. It's good to look out and just know that some of you love the Lord more than you love World Cup soccer. Appreciate you being here. It's great to be with you on this beautiful Sunday morning. And I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, we are certainly enjoying the, the warmer days and the break from school. And I hope all of you are also enjoying these longer days in your own way. Uh, I also know that, that summer is a common time for people to relocate in the event that's you, and this happens to be your, your first Sunday with us, I want to extend to you a very special welcome. I, I know I speak for all of us when I say that we're so glad you're here. And uh, we hope that you will come to discover that this church is not only a great place to worship the Lord on Sunday morning, we're also a, a wonderful community, a wonderful family to be a part of. And, and to that end, we want to get to know you. So I hope in the inside of your bulletin, you see that Hey, I'm Here card, that you'll fill that out. And then later, after the service is over, when you exit those double doors, you'll, you'll stop by the Welcome Center and give us the opportunity to greet you in person. This summer, we as a church are, are studying the, the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. And this Sunday, we're going to give our attention to the 2 Timothy. Now, we call it 2 Timothy not because it's of secondary importance, but because it was written after 1 Timothy. Scholars in an agreement that it was written sometime between 64 and, and 67 AD while Paul was imprisoned in Rome. And during those years, uh, a man by the name of Nero was, was emperor of the Roman Empire. Now, now, this guy, he was corrupt, he was compulsive, he was sadistic. Just to give you some indication of the kind of man he was, he had his own mother murdered. 
five years into his reign. So you can imagine how Christians fared under his leadership. It's a well-documented fact that under Nero's reign, that the persecution of Christians intensified. And Paul was a recipient of this persecution. And from the confines of prison, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he pens this letter to his beloved protege, Timothy, knowing that death is imminent. And as you might expect... If you were writing a, a final farewell letter to a beloved friend or coworker, th- this letter is very personal. And in the letter, we see Paul exhorting Timothy. We see him, him challenging him to, to remain steadfast. His main purpose in writing seems just, just to be to, to encourage him to continue in his ministry, to persevere. Although the exact phrase doesn't appear in Scripture, Paul has lived long enough that he's aware of a phenomenon that we might call today mission drift. Maybe, maybe some of you have heard this expression before, mission drift. In the, in the business world or in the nonprofit sector, uh, mission drift is when an organization passively changes course. So it happens like silently and gradually, usually without any fanfare maybe even unintentionally, as, as an entity strays from the, its original purpose. And usually it's not this crazy like 180 degree turn, it's not some big about face. Just, just the azimuth strays a couple degrees to the right, and, and really that's all it takes to get something off course. And mission drift can uh, not only happen to, to businesses and to nonprofits, it can even happen to churches. You know, there are, there are churches that are in existence in today that, that 100 years ago, they, they were founded for the purpose of furthering the proclamation of the gospel. And today, those same churches, they wouldn't put it like this on paper, but essentially their, their real mission right now is to preserve the membership roster or, you know, t- to offer activities that will keep people happy. That's, that's mission drift. And, and mission drift is, is in an organizational problem because it's a human problem. You, you see, organizations drift because people drift. And I'm really just like, uh, an example of this that might connect with everyone is just think about politics for a moment. So, so sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you'll see candidates that will run for office with the goal of, of heading off to Washington and just championing this list of needed reforms. And they get there, and all of a sudden, over time, the mission gets tweaked a little bit. And what happens is, is the real mission shifts, and it actually, while, while they're working for some good things, the real mission is to get reelected or, or to get pointed to a more prestigious committee. And, and I'm sharing all this because I want you to know that mission drift is not only something that happens to organizations and to politicians, it's something that can happen to you and I on a personal level. You see, God created all of us to fulfill a mission in the world. And what happens is, is that, is, is that we can start our spiritual journey well with the best of intentions. But over time, we can succumb to mission drift. And it's not like we just make this like really hard right or hard left and we go off the deep end. What usually happens is we just get busy or we get cozy, or we get complacent, 
and we steer a little off course. And before we know it, though, that becomes our new trajectory. And instead of accomplishing the mission that God has for us, instead we settle for, for pursuing this, this superficial mission that's just a watered-down version of the real mission that God has for us. And so instead of making a difference with our lives, we, just, we settle for making a living with our lives. And Paul writes Timothy because he knows that God has a mission for this young man's life. And he wants to remind Timothy to fulfill that mission because he's already seen guys like Demas, who he's going to mention at the end of the letter, succumb to mission drift. And, and this is a relevant letter for us because just like Timothy, guess what? We can succumb to mission drift. We're not immune from it either. You see, I have this theory. And my theory is that for most of us, the greatest threat to us accomplishing God's mission for our lives isn't that we're just going to renounce our faith and we're going to go out here and we're going we're to pledge allegiance to the devil. The, the greatest threat to us accomplishing the mission God has for our lives is just, just slowly, just very subtly, perhaps even unintentionally, we'll, we'll begin to drift and the azimuth on our life compass will just stray a little bit to the right or to the left. And instead of pursuing God's mission for our lives, what's going to happen is we'll pursue this pseudo mission. And it might look similar to God's mission for our lives, but it's going to involve less risk and hardship and challenge. And it's going to involve more comfort and ease and security. And when we settle for that, we're going to miss God's best for our lives. And there's many reasons why the, why the needle on one's life compass might drift. In this particular letter we're going to look at in this context, it would seem that, you know, maybe one of the things that, that Paul's worried about is that uh, Timothy's suffering some opposition. He's got some critics. People also speculate that maybe Timothy, by nature, that he was just maybe naturally a little more timid. He was hesitant. We also know that he was, he, he's a young pastor, so... You know, maybe he's, he's, he's reluctant to do anything that, uh, that might make waves. He doesn't want to do anything that might jeopardize his, his popularity. Maybe perhaps some of his, his spiritual fire has cooled. We aren't sure of all the exact circumstances. Those, those are all very logical conjectures just from the context of the letter. But we know that just, just from thinking about our own lives, how easy it would be to allow the, the, the current's and the pressures to cause us to drift. Now, listen, I, I know all of you are at church right now, so you know, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that anyone's off at left field. I'm just saying, like, does anybody else here feel like busy from time to time? How, how about busyness? Is, is that something that, that could, could throw off our heading by a few degrees? Absolutely. And, and, and so what we need to do is we need to stop and we need to look down at our life compass and we need to make sure that we're heading in the direction that we want to end up. You know, when I was in the Army, one of the pieces of equipment they issued you was a compass. Maybe some of you have held a compass before, but the reason they gave you a compass in the Army was because one of the, the missions you might receive and in the infantry in a way they might come and tell you, hey, here's the mission for your platoon. We want you to take this uh, key piece of terrain right here. This is your objective. And so you'd look down at the map and you'd say, oh, okay, I'm about three kilometers away from that piece of terrain. And, 
I know that now if I move through the woods at an azimuth of 150 degrees, that I'll end up at that objective. And so you'd pull out your compass and you'd shoot that azimuth of 150 and you'd head off in that direction. But every so often, you would need to stop. And you would look down at your compass to make sure that you hadn't drifted to the left or the right because it's so easy for that to happen. You'd do an azimuth check. And so that's all we're going to do this morning. We're going to do a spiritual azimuth check, okay? So what I want you to do is, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book, the letter of 2 Timothy chapter 1. You'll find it towards the very back of your Bible. And we see that after a, a, a short greeting that Paul gets right to the point. And we'll find four commands that when followed, when acted upon, will result in personal mission fulfillment. And these these exhortations are just as applicable to us as they were to Timothy. Now, when it comes to discerning God's mission for our lives, I, I think some of us can just easily lose sight of the fact that God gives us freedom. And I don't think any of us will, will get to heaven and we're going to hear God say, you know, like, you were, you were a real estate broker in Clemens and I really wanted you to be a dentist in Cincinnati. I don't think he's going to say that. As I read scripture, I just I get the sense that when it relates to mission fulfillment, God's far more concerned about our commitment, our devotion to these four exhortations. And in the very first exhortation, we find this in verses six and seven, and I'm going to summarize it this way: Be intentional. If you're taking notes, write this on the back of your bulletin. Be intentional. Let's look at these verses together. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This verse is an encouragement to me because when I stand up here, sometimes I feel like I should always be like teaching something new. And, and some of you have been walking with the Lord a long time. It's like, that can be an intimidating thought. But I'm encouraged by this because I read this and I realize, you know, Paul isn't writing Timothy to teach him anything new, is he? He's writing to do what? To remind him of truths he already knew. And, and maybe for you, this message is going to just be like one giant reminder. But that's okay. Maybe just sometimes we need reminded. Maybe sometimes... Like, just like Timothy, we need reminded that we have unique spiritual gifts. You know, God in His grace and His sovereignty, he, he bestows a spiritual gift, at least one, to every believer. And, and we, we receive a variety of different gifts to fulfill a, a variety of different ministry callings. And, and we see in 1 Peter 4 why God gives gifts. It says this, as each has received a gift Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So he gives us gifts not for our own self-promotion, but so that we can serve one another, so we can serve God and his people and thereby build up the church. And here's the takeaway. If you want to be intentional about fulfilling the mission that God has for your life, be intentional about using your spiritual gifts. Exercise them. Don't let the busyness of life or feel of fear of failure or complacency 
or the opinions of others keep you from using your gifts. Make it a priority. If you've ever gone camping, you know that like when you wake up in the morning, it's usually someone's job to get the fire started again. So, so we went camping last year for the first time as a family. We got up in the morning. We had to make the fire again. But you look, and because you, you had a fire last night, it's, it's a little easier, right? And so what we did, we got this piece of cardboard, and we began to fan the thing. And the embers that were in there were rekindled, and we had the flame again. This is what Paul's talking about here to Timothy. Some of us have gifts that are, that are just a little dormant, and we need to blow on them. We need to rekindle them. We need to fan them into flame so that they're red hot. And maybe you're here and you'd say, well, like, I don't even know what my spiritual gifts are. Here's a good place to start. Just go to our website, riveroakschurch.org, and you'll see the resources tab. Go down to, to spiritual growth, and you'll see at the bottom of that page, we have a spiritual gift assessment. That'll help you get started. Maybe you're here and you have some sense of what your gifts are, but you know that you're not exercising, that you haven't been intentional about using them. And, and if you're looking for a way to, to, to figure out how you can use those, just give any one of us on staff a call or an email. We'd love to have a conversation with you. And, and if you're here and you are exercising your spiritual gifts, that's great. Keep doing it. Because that's a critical part of fulfilling God's mission for your life. So that's the first exhortation. The, the, the second exhortation we find at the beginning of verse 8 as we continue. How can we ensure that we're fulfilling God's mission for our lives? I'd summarize it this way. Be bold. Be bold. Paul writes this. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, we need reminded of the importance of not being ashamed because I think we'd all acknowledge that there's times where we just kind of kept silent and we went along with the crowd because we didn't want to do anything that might jeopardize our popularity at school or in the office. And Paul's saying, listen, you, you, you can't be ashamed. There, there's going to be a time for boldness. And the evil one who is the father of lives would love to come and, and whisper in our ear and convince us that because there's times where we have been ashamed that we're disqualified from any future service. But don't believe that. Just, just think about the apostle Peter. This guy attended like the best seminary possible. He spent three years with Jesus. And then on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was the antithesis of bold, Right? And so when he has this encounter with Jesus a few days later after Jesus has, 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 has risen from the tomb, what does Jesus do? Does he like fold his arms and does he, does he put Peter on the bench? Does he send him to the locker room? No, he reinstates him and he puts him back in the game. And then a few weeks later during the, during the Feast of Pentecost, Peter has this moment where, where, he, where he's not ashamed, where he's bold and courageous about the testimony concerning our Lord. And you know what? That can be you and I, because the same spirit that emboldened Peter also empowers us. It's a really cool thought. 
You know, as we, as we continue reading this chapter, we see that this, this little phrase, not ashamed, it's repeated three times. We continue reading from verse 8, we, we see that Paul mentions the gospel, and any time the gospel comes up, any time he thinks about what it is that, that Jesus did in, in dying on our place, it's like he can't help himself, he has to expound upon it, and so that's what he does here for like three verses. And then he, he returns to his original train of thought in verse 12, and he says this, This is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So so we need to be not ashamed. Paul hasn't been ashamed. And then we get to verse 16, and we see Paul commends this gentleman by the name of Anisiphorus, because he was a guy who, guess what? He often refreshed Paul and was not ashamed of his chains. So you want to underline something in your Bible this morning? Just, just underline that expression, not ashamed, the three times it appears. And then off to the side, you can write theme of the chapter. Now, I, I know I haven't mastered this, but I've come to realize why this is so important. You see, it doesn't matter how gifted a person might be. It, it doesn't matter how well trained they are. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible they know. It doesn't matter how articulate they are. It doesn't matter how persuasive they are. If, if, the, if they're ashamed of Jesus, chances are they're not going to be very spiritually effective. They're not going to fulfill their mission. You, you can have all the giftedness in the world, but that in itself isn't going to produce any kind of spiritual effectiveness. You, you, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but that's not going to result necessarily in spiritual effectiveness if you don't have boldness. Boldness has to be a part of the equation for there to be spiritual effectiveness. And, and as I thought about this point, I couldn't help but recall a concept from physics class. Now, full disclosure, this is like probably the only thing I remember from physics class. But, but for some reason, I remember that there's this distinction between kinetic energy and potential energy. Maybe anybody else remember seeing like one of these illustrations like this? Maybe on your illustration, there was a guy on a skateboard or a rock. But let's just suppose you've, you've got the bicycle stationary on the crest of the hill. What kind of energy is this? This is potential energy, right? And, and, and here's the point that, that, that's kind of occurring to me here. This is only stored energy with the guy up here. It, it's, it's, not, it's not energy that's, that's kinetic until there's some movement. In the same way, if we're not willing to be bold... If we're ashamed about the testimony about, about Jesus, all our Bible studies and our church attendance are essentially potential energy. We, ha- we have the potential to go and to live out God's mission for our lives. And in the same way that movement's required to, to, to transfer potential energy to kinetic energy, it's boldness, it's, it's spiritual courage that's required to move us from potential effectiveness to actual effectiveness. And, and I know this might be intimidating to, to a lot of us, but, but we need to realize that this is just part of God's will for our lives. Jesus said, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. If we want to fulfill God's mission for our lives, some boldness is necessary. And as I'm growing in this, because this is a growth area for me, here's the biggest piece of encouragement I would share with you. The hardest part of this 
It's not answering like someone's questions they might have about the Bible or about Jesus once you begin sharing. The hardest part, it's just introducing Jesus into the equation, into the conversation. And, and for some reason, like, like I, I just like have to gear myself up for this. Like it's going to be this like really big, awkward thing. But you know what? It's never really, it doesn't seem awkward for the other person. And, and in fact, sometimes it seems to make the conversations better. I just think of uh, last month, I was at our annual denominational conference, and I had to go from the hotel to the airport, and uh, the gentleman that, uh, that picked me up, the, the Uber driver, was this delightful individual from Egypt, and I just felt like, okay, this is a time where God's prompting me, and you know, I'm sure my heart started beating a little faster, and as, and as I leaned into that opportunity, can I tell you that the conversation, it actually became more meaningful and interesting for both of us. If you want to fulfill God's mission for your life, some boldness is going to be necessary. And so just just ask yourself this question as a diagnostic. As it relates to talking about Jesus, are you becoming more embarrassed or are you becoming more bold? And, And if we're becoming more bold... Chances are we've got the right heading. We're heading in the right direction. So fulfilling God's purpose for our lives, it it requires intentionality with our giftedness. It requires some boldness about our Savior. And it also entails a willingness to suffer. We must be willing to suffer. We see this as we continue reading verse 8. It says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in, help me out, what does it say? Suffering for the gospel by the power of God. It's as if boldness and suffering go hand in hand. And I realize this isn't an easy word, but it's true. Uh, Real discipleship can sometimes be costly. The English word martyr Uh, comes from a Greek word, martyr, which means witness. But because so many early Christians paid for their witness with their lives, the word martyr has acquired the meaning that it has today. Now, Now, chances are most of us will not be required to pay for our witness with our lives, but we might suffer in other ways. I have a good friend here in the church who, who several years ago decided, you know, I I shouldn't be embarrassed about Jesus. Jesus is the best thing that can happen to anyone. And this guy didn't go out and like turn into bullhorn man on 4th Street. He, he didn't start trying to cram his beliefs down the throats of others. He just decided that he was going to start an optional Bible study at work. And, and because of that decision, he was eventually terminated and he experienced a prolonged season of unemployment. He, he suffered with Christ. And he will tell you looking back, that that's something that he would have never chosen for himself, but he, but he sees God's blessing in it now, and he sees how, how God has been good to him, and he's better off as a result of this, of this suffering. I, I want to be clear that the exhortation here isn't to go and seek out suffering. God doesn't ask us to do that. Rather, this is a mindset. I think we just have to be willing to suffer. We have to be open to that possibility, because if we're not willing to suffer chances are that we're going to shy away, we're going to shrink back when God gives us opportunities to, to, to use our gifts or, or to, to talk about Jesus. 
If we allow the, 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 the azimuth, the needle on our life compass to drift to the point where our main goal in life is to avoid hardship and suffering and persecution, and our main goal is just to maximize pleasure and find comfort and ease and security, we're only going to partially fulfill God's mission for our lives. We're going to settle for the, the pseudo-mission, for the watered-down version. So we'll leave here, and we'll be intentional. We'll be bold, and we'll be willing to suffer. And as we look at verses 13 and 14, we find the final exhortation. We must be faithful. If you're taking notes, be faithful. These verses read, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me, and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. In other words, Timothy, if you want to avoid mission drift, hold on to the right teachings. Perhaps nothing can cause us to veer off course further and faster than abandoning the truths revealed in the Bible. We must hold on to, to, to the right doctrine, to the right teaching, if we're going to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. In, in this letter, we go on to read that what's going to happen in the last days is that people are not going to endure sound teaching. And they're going to accumulate around them people who are going to tickle the ears and they're going to tell them what they want to hear that's going to suit their own passions and they're not going to put up with listening to the truth. What do you think? Do we see that today? Yeah, I think that happens. Uh, one guy I was sharing with recently, I, I think he expressed a, a sentiment that's shared by many when he said, well, you know, I, I worship God in my own way. Listen, God, God gives us a lot of freedoms, but that isn't one of them. God tells us how we're to approach Him and, and what it means to live as a member of His family. We don't, we don't get to create like our own personal God and, and have this God just agree with everything that we think is a good idea. God tells us how we're to approach Him. That word that we translate pattern up there was used in the Greek to refer to a, uh, a writer's outline or an artist's rough sketch. It was what set the standard or the guideline for the finished work. And our standard is God's Word. And we don't need to massage it. We don't need to edit it in order to make it relevant or to bring it up to date with the times. God's Word is a timeless classic. It's always relevant. It's never going to drift. And if we want to ensure that we're heading in the right direction, we need to hold on to His Word to the truth that's revealed in it. I, I think earlier in the week, all of us uh, breathed a collective sigh of relief and we said a prayer of thanksgiving when we found out the, the last of those boys was rescued from the cave in Thailand. Was anyone else following that story closely? Yeah, I was as well. And one of the articles I read said that, uh, that when you stir up dirt in a cave which is bound to happen any time that the divers pass through it, that the water becomes so murky that you can't even see a hand in front of your face, even with a flashlight on. 
And so when these rescue divers went in there, one of the things that they did was they, they installed this static rope line through the, the underwater portions of the cave so that the, they could reduce their chances of getting lost. And so when those divers began their return trip, like 2.5 miles underneath that cave, they could be confident that holding on to that rope would, would bring them safely to the exit. You know, in the same way, God says that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God's word is our guideline. And if we want to ensure that we're heading in the right direction, we have to hold on to that. We hold steadfast to that. We, we follow the pattern of sound teaching that's revealed in it and that we can be confident we're going to end up in the right spot. If you want to fulfill God's mission for your life, be intentional about exercising your spiritual gifts. Be bold when it comes to sharing Jesus with others. Be willing to suffer with our Savior and finally be faithful. Hold on to that truth. If that's your game plan and you execute on it, one day you can be confident that you're going to hear the words, well done good and faithful servant. But all of this assumes that, that like Timothy, there has been a time in your life when you have placed your faith in Jesus. That there was this moment when you realized that, that you were separated from God and that you were in need of the, of the salvation that He offers, His free gift of salvation. You see that word uh, gospel that, that's mentioned there in verse 8 in your text? It simply means good news. And the good news is this, as it goes on to, to, to say in verse 9. It's that we're saved not by works, not by trying really hard to live a good life, but by grace, through faith in Jesus. The gospel is good news because our salvation isn't something we have to try and achieve through our own moral effort. It's something that we receive and all of us are in need of receiving this salvation because all have sinned and we're separated from God. But God in his mercy has this plan of redemption, has this plan of salvation. Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that none of us could ever live. And he died the, the death that we deserve to die. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that by believing in Jesus, we can receive God's free gift of salvation. We can have his perfect righteousness credited to us. God's plan of salvation is that there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life as a ransom for all. And, and, and fulfilling God's mission for your life begins with accepting that free gift of salvation begins with, with confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you've never done that before, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Here in a, here in a moment, we're going to close in prayer. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to be saved. And you can know this, that, that, that if you've never made that decision before, that fulfilling God's mission for your life begins with being saved. And that can happen today, right now.
Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for not leaving us in the darkness, but giving us your word and and by your spirit, helping us to understand it and, and guiding us in all truth. And we thank you for the azimuth check this morning. And we just, we, we recognize that we're prone to drift from you and from your call on our lives. And we ask for your forgiveness for being wayward children. And we invite you to come now and show us the ways that we're drifting. We, we acknowledge that we're sheep in need of a shepherd. And we thank you for being the good shepherd. Come and align our lives with your purposes for us. We want to fulfill your mission for us. You have free reign now to come and to, to speak into our schedules and our finances and our relationships. We know that, that, that your will for our lives, your mission for our lives is always in our best interest. So come and and give us the strength to act on the, the truth that you've given us. And for those of you who are here, who know that God's mission for your life needs to begin with you accepting his gift, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. You can pray a simple prayer like this in your own words. God, you know the condition of my heart. You know all the junk, the pride, the envy, the selfishness. I know I need a Savior. I thank you for sending Jesus to be that Savior. I receive the gift that you offer by grace through faith. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me. And for making me a part of your family. Amen.